Have you ever thought about what you'll do when and if your parents lose the ability to live alone? Or what about when your spouse, the one you care about the most, can no longer take care of themselves? Well, it doesn't just impact them. It impacts you, too. Tens of millions of people in this country have been thrust into a role they never really thought about. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and today on Growing Boulder, we'll be joined by one of the most open, interesting caregiving advocates out there, someone who has experienced it and dealt with it all and has a lot to tell us. Mark talks with the fascinating Dan Gasby. You know, fascinating and controversial as well. This guy got himself into a pickle, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, And that's not all, because we're going to talk with an actor who has over 250 screen credits to his name, and it is a name you probably recognize. It's Clint Howard. He's the brother of actor and director Ron Howard. You remember him, Opie. They've just written a book together, not just about their lives, but also about their parents, the importance of strong parenting and what they believe we can all learn from their amazing journey through celebrity and fame now that they are both in their 60s. Turns out that Clint and Ron Howard are pretty much just like the rest of us. They're ordinary people living extraordinary lives. It's time for Growing Boulder. Well, as many of you guys know, caregiving is absolutely one of the most important yet undervalued responsibilities, primarily because it's one of the most common. 153 million Americans are now providing a staggering $500 billion in unpaid care every year. And if that burden were to shift to our health care system, it could literally ruin our entire economy. And with 10,000 Americans now turning 65 each and every day, millions more will face the challenge of providing unpaid care each and every year. And, you know, unfortunately, most are unprepared, overwhelmed because we just don't see it coming. And our guest today has been one of America's great caregiving advocates. He stepped up to help others because of what he's been through what he learned when the woman that he loved, his wife, was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And his is a story that many of you will have heard about uh, because his wife was someone that we all knew. She was Barbara Smith, uh, better known as B. Smith, the American chef, the actress. Uh, She was a supermodel, an author, uh, a lifestyle guru. And together, Uh, They produce the B. Smith branded television shows, magazines, books, restaurants, and a line of uh, branded home goods that are still sold at major retailers today. Uh, They were on a major media role when in 2013, at the age of 64, uh, B. was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease, and he became her primary caregiver. Uh, And folks, they didn't hide. They didn't go away. They they co-wrote Before I Forget which is a touching book. It's an important book, and and really, it's a love story, but it is filled with practical advice and tips. It's a must-read for everybody. They worked very hard to destigmatize an Alzheimer's diagnosis uh, and to raise awareness uh, about a disease that now impacts just about every family in America, but it has hit African Americans disproportionately, and that's become a major cause for him. Uh, In 2020, at the age of just 70, after 26 years of marriage, B passed away. 
and Dan, her husband, went to work. He is now one of the world's leading voices for Alzheimer's awareness and caregiving. He's a frequent keynote speaker. He's on the board of directors of the American Brain Foundation. He's the co-host of Too Soon to Forget, The Journey of Younger Onset Alzheimer's Disease, which was an American public television documentary. And all of this, folks, is well within his wheelhouse because before meeting B. Smith, he had a highly successful career in TV sales and production, including with three of the most successful syndicated shows in history, The Oprah Winfrey Show, Jeopardy, and Wheel of Fortune. So let's bring him in and let's get with it. Uh, I know this is going to be an interesting and probably provocative conversation. Let's welcome Dan Gasby. Dan, how you doing, buddy? Mark, I, you know, if... You should do my, my, my press releases because you nailed everything that I've done and what I believe so eloquently and so succinctly. And I want to thank you for that. And uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, overall, because I know that what I've been through, many more people are going to go through. And I want to make sure that they have guide marks they have posts that they can see and understand that they're not alone. Well, you, you know, one of the many things I like about you, Dan, is that you're one of the, one of the fortunate ones that had the wherewithal to, to just go away. I mean, you did your thing. You had an incredible life with an incredible woman, but yet you found the energy to step up and, and try to make things better for others. So, so thank you for that, because this caregiving journey takes so many twists and turns that, you know, they all do. Everyone is different. Yours included alienated many of B's fans to the extent that you actually received death threats. And let's just leave that there for a second as a tease. I want to talk about it a little bit later in this interview. Uh, but if you will, take us back to the beginning, to the initial diagnosis. What was that like? Because uh, as I said, I mean, you guys were on a roll, a major media powerhouse. Uh, how did that reveal itself and how did you guys respond to it? Well, actually, I want to take it back even a little further than that. Because, Please. you know, it's sort of like if there wasn't modern meteorological technology, which there isn't medically, of weather, you wouldn't know if a rainstorm was just another rainstorm or a major hurricane was coming. If you didn't have a warning, sadly, about wind coming and you hear it, you don't know if it's just another windy night or there's a tornado barreling down on your home or in your community. And so to talk about Alzheimer's, to talk about dementia, you really got to understand people don't know what's going on because the first signs are ever so slight like a, like like drizzle and then it gets progressively worse and then it becomes intermittent and then all hell breaks loose when it's finally understood either through diagnosis or you find reality that what your loved one is facing facing is not just a situation of shortened memory or forgetfulness or being temperamental, but it's full-blown onset of dementia, ultimately Alzheimer's. Did B get tested? I mean, I, I know there are tests. Did you go in? Was there an official diagnosis at some point? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, well, first of all, I didn't want to believe it because I was so close. I mean, we worked 24-7, 365. We would go four or five months where we wouldn't even be out, you know, be away from each other every day, getting up, 
doing what we normally do, working, going out, going to the restaurants, coming back home, because we got along. We were hand in glove. We were, you know, uh, two peas in a pod. And then suddenly, just imagine if you take a railroad track and it's slightly off than being parallel. The further down the tracks you go, the more that expansion and, and, and the unalignment happens. And then if the train's on that, on those rails, it will suddenly derail. And that's what happened. It became so apparent that something wasn't right. And so we went and had her tested and gave her, you know, some cognitive tests. And we found out that there was something that wasn't there. And that was her ability to understand and diagnose different things in life and to understand really what she was saying. She would forget what she had said. And that's when we realized we got to go even further. And so what we did was we brought her into Mount Sinai and had uh, had a beta amyloid test and found out that she had the plaque. And ultimately, uh, the, the test showed Alzheimer's. And what a learning experience uh, for you and, and others around her, because, I, you know, you, you learn that you really can't bring them back. And the answer is to go with them. And so many people make the initial mistake of saying, no, you already asked me that. No, you already asked me that. And uh, was it difficult at first to kind of just go with the flow and to make her feel okay to the extent that you could? I did not. This is a woman who could do everything. And she did everything effortlessly and with grace and with style and who was as... You know, I hate to say perfect, but she was perfect. And she had a way about her that she made everything and everyone feel better. And at the same time, she was never haughty or arrogant. And to suddenly see that personality change in terms of not being able to do things or to have a look in her eye that was sort of far away and you could understand exactly what it was was disconcerting. And for me, I mean, she was my, my heroine. She was the one that, you know, B can do it. And she always wanted to do more. And then to suddenly find out she couldn't do it or she could handle it was very disconcerting. I mean, we finally understood that was when she was on a Today Show and she was working with the, with the host and she froze for what seemed like an eternity, having been involved in television, for like five seconds on air, live television. You know, and you know, at being in the media and entertainment business, that's an eternity. And so that's when we really understood that there was, it wasn't being tired, it wasn't burnout. There was something going on that was bigger than just needing to take a time out or take a vacation. And, and how brave of her and, and you, Dan, to keep speaking, to, to steep, keep being visible. But I've seen interviews with the two of you. I've seen her doing PSAs. I've seen her, uh, you know, still standing up there and, and acknowledging that she has this disease. And yet she's still out there, uh, you know, trying to make a difference. I can't tell you how much I admire that. Mark, let me tell you this. She was one of a kind she was strong as a lion and as kind as a dove. But most importantly, and what we had together, she was honest. She had a sense of 
clarity about doing the right thing or she always believed if it's all about you, it's really not about much. And we lived a parallel life in believing you don't get through this life without someone helping you, someone opening a door, someone believing in you when others say you can't do it. You, you have a responsibility to do the same for the future. And so that's why we took up the mantle. That's why we wrote the book, Before I Forget. That's why I was honest in saying, and initially, I couldn't believe, here's a woman who, in her 60s, could talk to anyone about anything, who could walk into a room and make candles flicker. She was that type of person, to the point that I would sit down sometimes and just watch her in a room, and I was a fan. And for you guys... It was a seven-year journey from when she was first diagnosed to when she passed away in, in 2020. And, and Mark, it was more than seven years. Here's the thing. And that's the thing. It's set, that was seven years. But there were five years before, and I write in the, in the, in the book, it's, it's called the WTF period. It'd be like me talking to you right now, <laughs> and we're doing this tape show. And I'd go, you know, I, I really wish I was watching uh, a, a, a a TV show right now. And then I'd come back and say, well, hey, I'm glad we're doing this. And you go, WTF, what the heck is this? <laughs> and then because it's almost like the brain switches off and goes to something else or, you know, when they used to have phonographs, somebody would jostle the room or the floor and the needle would skip. And then it'd come back to playing music sequentially. That's, that's the five-year period mm. before it became apparent. And that's one of the toughest periods because people correct people. People say people don't know what they're doing. They get upset with them. Uh, how many people have left someone because they just couldn't stand the person because they had what seemed to be a personality disorder or they were emotionally unstable? They think it, they think it was psychological. The person is, quote, unquote, crazy. No, it's, it's not psychological. It's neurological. It's a disease. And the brain is going through the evol or devolution of what's going on because it's missing making the connections that need to be a human communicating. Boy, great point. L let me ask you this, Dan, because you you were on the front lines for these many, many years. And, and, and we hear, we understand th th those who are in the business of caring for, for people suffering from dementia will tell us that even those in the, the most advanced stages of dementia still have the ability to experience love and joy. And although I know it's kind of a roller coaster ride as you go through it, did you experience that even toward the end? Was, was be able to experience it and uh, understand? Up until the last, you know... When I think about it, yeah, there was times, but there was also times when it was just, it would be like you're reading the words, but you don't know what the words mean. But music did make a difference. I mean, that was something internal that she could relate to and listen to. She couldn't articulate how she felt about it other than to articulate or express how she her emotions, how it, her body would move or she would sway to the music. And for the caregiver, understanding both sides of the coin is the most difficult thing because you know that she's not totally getting it. 
Well, I think we all have a pretty good idea now why Dan Gasby is considered one of the most important caregiving advocates out there. Mark and Dan take on some topics many hesitate to discuss. Coming up next, this is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Florida Blue Medicare. Turning 64 is a time to celebrate as new adventures and opportunities await. And 64 is also a time to think about Medicare. Growing Boulder created a guide that helps explain it all. Available for free at growingboulder.com slash Medicare. Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingboulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Bill and Mark here. You're listening to Growing Boulder. How about this, folks? If you pass away before your spouse, do you want them to go on, to meet somebody new, to have relationships and live their lives? Well, what if Alzheimer's erases everything? Does your spouse have the right to find companionship? It's one of the things that Mark brings up with caregiving advocate Dan Gasby, who's not afraid to tell it like he sees it. Let's get into the you know, I'm going to say the difficult point of the conversation, but 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 Dan, I, I know you to be a guy that will talk about anything openly. You did not run. So many people do run. You stayed there. You cared for her. You loved her. You were there 24-7, day in and day out. But after this period, which you said is, is far more than 2013 to 2020, you know, years and years before that, at some point your relationship changes and it's no longer what it was. And you developed another relationship and that did not sit well with many of her fans. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? And, and do you think, and let's just put this out there, do you think it was because you developed uh, uh, another relationship with a woman when the woman that you were married to had this huge fan base, or was it because you developed a relationship with another woman who happened to be white? Uh, uh, let's put it this way. D, all of the above. People didn't like it. You know, the, the amazing thing, Mark, is that Barbara and I talked about this, that if something happened and we became incapacitated, that we would go on. There was no guarantees. I mean, I didn't have any relationships with anyone. You know, I didn't, I don't, you know, we're in a public eye. We're in restaurant business entertainment. I had plenty of opportunities. I didn't have any, you know, you look across the spectrum. I didn't have any uh, baby mama drama. There was no other kids. There was no, no one can come out of the woodwork and says I had a relationship with them. But a lot of people, particularly, I mean, a, a lot of women, took it upon themselves. I mean, they, try, they, 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 they couldn't handle that. And the person I was involved with was going through the same thing and we became close. And yes, race was very much a part of it. And the interesting thing about it is that I've got more heat from black women and more support from white women in terms of that overall. I mean, and the amazing thing is the folks that did that, would, what happens, I guess, is they, they project upon themselves what they don't want to happen to themselves. And then they try to tell you uh, what you should do because this is what they believe, because this is how they feel. As opposed to, Barbara and I talked about this. 
I would want her to have someone if I was in the same situation. You know, let's be real. 36,500. You know what that is? If you live 100 years, you get 36,500 days. Around 22,000 of those days, you're 70, and everything else starts to change, and you have to manage what can be the unmanageable, or you have to understand that what you did do on the first 10 or 12 or 15,000 days is not going to be the same going forward. We understood that. We talked about that. But people project what they feel. And because race is such a predominant lightning rod in this country, I, I took, I took, and, and so did, so did uh, the lady I was with, took unbelievable heat. I mean, I had the uh, protective services coming every day because they believed that she was being abused. I had people who would spit at me. I had somebody throw meat over the fence with my dogs with, with antifreeze on it. I mean, this, this was some serious stuff. And what are we talking about? We're talking about, I, I get, I get emotional about this. A woman wrote that my, my lady friend was living with me. No, she never lived with me or that I was giving B's money. Like I somehow was standing on the corner and B drove up and says, you know, come here, destitute man. Let me take care of you uh, to this other woman. And it all was tinged under race, which was not the case. The other woman was very successful, has her own house, was driving her own Porsche. We became close because she was going through the same thing with her father. And it, it happened. We cared about each other. She never lived in my house, but they put that out in the press she didn't need any money from me. We we spent time together with Barbara. We we didn't hide because I don't believe in being down low. I don't believe in saying I'm doing one thing and then doing another. So I didn't I I, I put it out there that this was a, a unit, this was a loving unit, and I cared about both women. And she took a lot of hits. She took too many hits, and I'm I'm sorry that that happened. But the amazing thing is that so many people would send me notes or direct messages. And I had one, a guy from, uh, from Maine who went through the same thing. Mark, there is nothing lonelier than being with someone when they're not there. I mean, it's two people that are two physical bodies, but you're living a half a life because you're living your life totally immersed in the other person's needs. And it's, it's brutal. It is absolutely brutal, but people only project what they feel is important to them or what their insecurities are or what their prejudices are or what their sadly ignorance is. You know, I appreciate you talking about that, Dan. And, 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 you know, you know, by the way, for the record, you don't have to convince me at all. I just wanted to give you an opportunity because, you know, I think the more you talk about it, the more people should understand it. But but you're right. We live in a world where, where, where sometimes reason doesn't make any difference to anybody. But, you know, you mentioned that you and your your lady friend cared about one another. But not only did you care about one another, you cared for B. I mean, I, I've seen she, the videos. I've oh, seen oh, no, she, she cared. Relationship. We cared about each other in that we both cared about each other and cared for B. And it was all encompassing. 
And so uh, she went through holy hell. You know, I'll tell you something more. I'm a human being. I know who I am. I'm a black man. I've had everything that you could possibly imagine in this society happen to me that black men have. I was married for 40 years, 12 years with my first wife who left me and 28 years or 20, well now, I mean, till the end, you know, 40 years together. I love black women. I love women. I am going to date or be with whoever I want to be with, whoever wants to be with me. And I am not going to let my color dictate my possibilities. Life, as I said before, is too short. You can have a billion dollars, but you don't get a billion days. You get a couple of thousand, tens of thousands of days if you're lucky. And I am not going to let anyone define me by what they think my life should be. I am not angry, but I am going to be, uh, let's put it this way. I'm, I'm going to advance what I believe. And I know that there are good people in all different races, creeds, religions, what have you. And there are, there are people who want to dominate your mind. And I'm not going to let that happen or your situation. Dan Gasby preaching. And, and I love every little bit of it because you have just catapulted this conversation from caregiving into the growing bolder ethos, Dan, because what you said is, is what we talk about here every day. We don't give a damn who you are as long as you're a good person. All we want to do is help you, whoever you are, be the best possible you. And I think we as a culture get so tied up and so brought down uh, by trying to figure out, you know, how we're different from this person and does this person deserve what I have? And, you know, if we would all just have more of what you just described, we'd be better. So, so, so give us the moral of the story, Dan, you know, is, is there a takeaway from life? Because you've lived it. I mean, yeah. you, 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 you've seen it all. What, what can we learn about life from your experience? Uh, the most important thing is that you only have so much time, make it worthwhile. If you can't help or, or bring something or put something into the pot of humanity to make someone deserving better or make their lives easier or spark an idea. You know, I always say we should all try to be teachers. You know, as a businessman, I know basically anyone can start a business, but to teachers and people who help, if you can start a spark of mine, that's where you make a big real difference. So I always want, I, 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 I live for the future to leave. When I leave this, this, this place, I want to know that I've tried to help someone who maybe couldn't have had an opportunity if it wasn't for me, or I put them in touch with some realities that allowed them to pass that along to someone else. And so if, if I could say one thing I, I, I've learned, it's that you have to want to make the world better because that's the very nature of existence is to continue the cycle, to continue the growth. And so that's what I believe. And it's not about color. It's about what's in your heart. And that's why I believe Mark, 
it's important for me to keep this message going. I want to see Alzheimer's. I want to see dementia. I want to see brain disease in the rearview mirror in, in our society. That's why I joined the American Brain Foundation because they're working on a host of diseases because they're all it all it's all neurological. It all starts it all starts at the top. The only difference between us and other mammals is that three and a half pounds of white gray matter above our eyebrows and underneath our skull. It makes us who we are. And so uh, I know she would do that if it was me in the same situation. And I've committed myself to doing that. Well, Dan, thank you for doing that uh, on behalf of all of us. Uh, you know, we're grateful for, you know, what you're doing. Uh, we're sorry for what you've been through. And, and, and thank you for sharing your story with us today, because it is a powerful one. I can't wait to see what you do next. Let's do stay in touch, because I know we can do some work together. And, you know, we'd love to help you any way we can. Well, I, I would love to do that. And I think that what you're undertaking and looking at us in, in the years of our lives where we've, you know, amassed so much information. I always tell young people there's a big difference between being smart and being wise. Smart people may know all of the answers. Wise people know the ones that matter. And that's what you're doing. That's what Growing Boulder is all about. And I'm, I'm happy to be here to, uh, to talk about my situation. You're a good dude, Dan Gasby. Folks, if you want to know more, uh, check out Dan Gasby on Facebook. Also on Facebook, B. Smith Style. And, of course, uh, they've got a great website where you can learn all about the work that they've done together, the work that Dan is doing alone today in her memory, and also the book that they wrote, which really is a must-read for anybody that might be a caregiver. And uh, as you know, there's only two types of people in this world, those who are caregivers or, or those who will be caregivers. Up next, remember the TV show Gentle Ben? The star was a bear. The co-star was a little boy named Clint Howard. Yep, Ron Howard's brother. Well, he joins us next with something to share about his family that he believes will matter to yours. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Alliance for Lifetime Income. Protected income from an annuity can help cover essential expenses in retirement, giving you the freedom to live the life you want. The right financial professional can show you how. Learn more at protectedincome.org. And by the Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Statistics show that there's a pretty good chance we'll all end up having to take care of a family member. It's one of the most stressful things you can do, mostly because caregivers generally don't ask for help until they're way past the point of needing it. Annette Kelly, who was CEO of the Central and North Florida Alzheimer's Association, says reaching out is one of the most important things you can do. I think that connection can be really important because subliminally you learn how other people manage. You learn not only what they're doing that's laudable, but what they're doing that you would never do. You know, both sides. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to go there. And you also learn ways of inviting 
into your caregiving situation support. I've accommodated caregiver support groups for years, and it has always been so enlightening to see the connections happen that you would not have expected. You know, it's, it's just remarkable. I've learned so much myself from doing that. Yeah, it's that shared knowledge yeah. is where the power comes from. Yeah, and the share, sharing of dismay and helplessness that then puts us, the, the caregiver, in a position of filling up again. That bottoming out sort of experience, which people fear. I've heard so many people say, I don't want to go to a caregiver support group. I don't want to hear other people's problems. Well, it's really not that. <laughs> it's much more about hearing your own spoken a different way. Yeah. Sharing what you've been dealing with and learning from what others have been through, not only will it result in a better experience for the person you're caring for, but it really can make all the difference for the caregiver, too. More insight and information at growingbolder.com slash Medicare. You're listening to Growing Bolder because, well, we all have to take life as it comes and find a way to make the best of it. I'm Bill Schaefer with someone I got to tell you I've never met, but I grew up with, and you probably did too. He was just a kid when he got the starring role in the TV series Gentle Ben. Remember that? And Man, I'll never forget him from Star Trek. And, oh, at the same time, his big brother was just finishing up his role as Opie on The Andy Griffith Show. They both went on not just to have great careers, but to become great people who've led fascinating lives. And now they've written about it in a wonderful book called The Boys, a memoir of Hollywood and family. So let's say hi to Clint Howard. Sure is nice to talk to you, Clint. Well, good morning, Bill. Thank you very much. Those are very kind words. You know, you really, we really did grow up together. I, I don't know if you saw me at the same time, but man, we sure saw you. And you're kind of one of those guys that's frozen in time at the age you were when we watched you on those shows. So it, that's why it's so interesting for us to get to talk to you to get your perspective of what is it like to be, what, 62? Well, yes, 62, <laughs> and having been a professional actor for 60 years. So, you know, it is, it, it is, it has to be unique for you. But I would feel the same way about about running into Tiger Woods or having an opportunity to speak with Lee Trevino, you know, Jack Nicholas. It's just that you grew up watching me and I understand that. And I know that has to sort of, you know, really jar your psyche and, 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 and in a good way, in a good way, jar your psyche. Uh, and I appreciate that. I had a wonderful experience. This has been years ago at the height of his stardom, Eddie Murphy, we were at a, uh, separately, of course, we were at a Hollywood party. And it was, you know, I'm not, I, I didn't do Hollywood parties all that well. I mean, you know, sure, it's kind of fun, but also, I don't know, I'm just not that kind of a guy. But he spotted me at this party. He broke away from his little posse and walked over to me and, and did kind of what you're doing. He grew up watching me on Gentle Ben, and he spent several minutes chatting with me about how important it was that Gentleman was on, because when he was growing up, 
you know, he was living in New York and things weren't going really well in his family life and all that. And he could transport himself through television to down to Florida. And he so much wanted to be like me, you know, and that coming from a guy, Eddie Murphy, at, at the pinnacle of his stardom is very humbling. And so I get it. Clint, that, that is so cool. And you know what the flip side of that is? We all assume, because that's when you were on TV, that that must have been the best time of your life. And the rest is kind of like, oh, man, just living in the rearview mirror. But you're not that kind of guy. Oh, not at all, for crying out loud. Listen, life is filled with ups and downs. And Gentle Ben was an up period in my life. There's been several, there's been several things in show business related that have been ups in my life. But listen, the up in my life now is, is I, I've been married now for, you know, a couple of years. And my wife, Kat, and I, you know, are putting up Christmas decorations right now around the house. And in fact, I had to break away to do some of these phone interviews. But we have a Christmas tree to decorate. And, and we've got the rest of the outdoor lights to put on. And, and you know, I find that stuff to be big, big fun. Big fun. The, the other thing, Clint, that's hard, it, that's hard for us to get in our heads is that maybe, maybe a lot of stars are like this, but I get the feeling they aren't. You and Ron were raised by your parents as normal as possible, what we would consider normal. You were never, you know, treated like stars. You didn't gloat over other people. In fact, you know, you had to deal with being teased by other kids in school. But I can't get over, none of us can how cool you guys are and how we all feel like we could, you know, meet you at a restaurant or sit and have a conversation like this with you. You have the the foundation of a, of a very, very cool guy. Well, listen, I, and I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, and I don't have, I, I have very little to do with it. I, I guess I have something to do with it, but mom and dad are really the ones that sort of built the foundation of, of the fam, the Howard values the family, you know, uh, and you know, the thing is neither one of them, first of all, neither one of them had any business getting into show business. You know, they both came from Oklahoma and it's, it's in the book, you know, it's in the boys. It's, you know, they, I couldn't have done what they did, but they had the audacity to break free from the life that they had, which mom was the daughter of a butcher in a small town in Duncan, Oklahoma. And, and Ron, I mean, and, and dad was the son of a farmer, you know, but they had the audacity to break free and, and, and want to have a different life and, and a more exciting life. And I, I'm so grateful that they made the, that choice. And as far as their attitude, they were not, neither one of them were intoxicated by the business. And neither one of them were intimidated. Dad was not scared of anybody. Now, he wasn't a bully, and he, didn't, he wasn't blustery about it. Dad stepped into the entertainment business, and just nothing intimidated him. And for that, I'm very grateful for because he he, he passed that along. And, and but also, Dad had a huge amount of respect for the business, and a huge amount of respect for the process, which he passed along. And you know, to the best of my ability, I try to carry on that attitude. Yeah, he wasn't starstruck at all, and maybe that's the best thing that they passed along to you because you, you read this book. Oh, you know, it's a great book because. It's really a parenting book. It's a it's a leadership book. It's a it's a follow your dreams book. It makes you think, you know, I get that. I could apply that to my life, to my kids. It 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 really is an inspiration. 
Well, yes, thank you. It is. I appreciate it. It was inspiring to to be part of writing it. You know, Ron and I, uh, listen, we wrote the thing. We had wonderful help from a fellow named David Camp, a collaborator who's a journalist, um, Vanity Fair writer, and a wonderful guy. And he really brought out the best in Ron and I. And it was a great, you think it's a great experience to read the book, and I really appreciate that. It was a great experience to write the book, you know, and just at a point in my life where it was really, really a good thing, you know. Um, I just recently got married, and in fact, I, I married Kat while we were writing the book, right in the middle of COVID. So, you know, things have just been coming up roses for me. So, so here, here you are at this really interesting phase in your life right now, and it's kind of a storybook life. Every, every book needs a great ending, Clint, so help us with that. Help us write the rest of the script. What's the moral of your story? What lessons have life taught you that you can pass along to us? Oh, never forget where you came from. Never forget who your mentors were or are. And remember, you can always learn things. You can always, you can always be in a situation and keep your eyes open and learn. And that's something that mom and dad were really great. They were, you know, they, they encouraged that. They really nurtured that, that keep your eyes open and learn. And I'll tell you a quick story about Ron. When Ron first started directing, he had a big hit, Splash. That was his first big hit, you know, and all of a sudden Ron was a big-time director. But, you know, instead of stopping and going on a vacation and kicking back, what Ron did was just work harder and keep more focused and keep his nose to the grindstone. And one thing he told me a long time ago is on every movie that he works on as a director, before he starts out, he tries to find one aspect of the business, one discipline of the business, and work on it, whether it be camera, whether it be sound, whether it be working with the actors, every, everything, he tries to learn something on every project. And I, you know, I, I keep that in mind as I carry through life. Well, listen, you, you guys, I don't know, you didn't set out to be, you probably didn't even really care to be, but you're, you're, you've become great role models in addition to growing up along with us because you've been taught to look other people right in the eye and you make us feel, you know, like like we're equals, like we're like we're just as worthwhile even though you guys have had this incredible inspiring career. It's uplifting just like the book is. It's called The Boys. And man, we sure appreciate getting the chance to start growing bolder and having a great conversation with Clint Howard. Thanks Clint. Good luck with the book. We've heard what some pretty impressive guests have to say. Now it's time to find out what's on Mark's mind. That's coming up next. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to unique length. 
You know, when Elaine Larson started out in jet car racing, <laughs> yeah, that's what I said, jet car racing, it was all about the adrenaline rush, and you get that, don't you, of getting up to 280 miles an hour in like a five-second blast down the track. This is a woman that lives life at full throttle. And she doesn't just do it. I mean, she's one of the best. She's gone on to become a two-time International Hot Rod Association world champion. And yeah, she may love taking calculated risk on the track, but you might be surprised to learn how safe and secure she likes to be when she's off of it. So you learned a lot in in racing about needing a team, needing expert advice. Um, What did you learn? I learned really quick that I needed to educate myself. And the best way to do that is seek professional help. I mean, you know, I if, if you want to talk to someone about driving a jet car at 280, 300 miles an hour, I'm your woman. You know, I know how to do it. I didn't know where I should be keeping my money, where I should, how I should diversify. And that's where the financial advisor came in. He sat and he learned about how I would like to live. He taught me that that's okay and that you just have to put a little away. You just have to be smart about your investments not to put all your eggs in one basket and to diversify and how to have that protected income. And he talked to me about annuities and I didn't even know what an annuity was. And now I have one. We have learned uh, that the internet is not necessarily filled with truth or the best advice. So how do you find a financial planner that you can trust? What did you do? You know, I drive these race cars back here this is not a do-it-yourself project this isn't something that you can just do in your garage you can do watch a youtube video and then all of a sudden you're an engineer that knows how to build a race car that you can survive a crash at 280 miles an hour that doesn't happen if i don't risk my life to just doing that why would i risk my money there's resources out there for you to find is protectedincome.org. It's gonna be the place for you to go to find out the vocabulary so that when you walk into the financial advisor, you're not gonna be the one that's Googling under the table. Um, It talks to you and it helps you find the gaps in your plan. Um, And it also helps you find the good financial advisors that are out there to help you in your situation. More information at protectedincome.org, including recommendations on where and how best to find the right financial professional. Well, so far on this program, you've heard from some people with unique points of view and important information to share on how to get the most out of life. Well, our guests aren't the only big thinkers out there, folks. It's time now to ask Growing Boulder founder and CEO Mark Middleton. Mark, what's on your mind? You know, actually, it's on my desktop right now, Bill. I'm (laughs) I'm working on something. As you know, I've written a couple of articles that's based upon stuff that you and I have learned from all of our guests here on the radio show, the keys to active longevity, the things you need to do in order to extract passion from your life. But, you know, I've thought about kind of turning it upside down and saying and writing something that says here are some don'ts things that you shouldn't do in order to age well work in progress so so stick with me and help me think this through Uh, number one is don't fear death you can't avoid death by ignoring it it's something we don't talk about at all but we've learned from talking to older people they come to you know they they come to grips with it and they actually start to look forward to it. So I think if it's something we talk more about and we realize that none of us are getting out of here alive, it's a good thing. And if you fear it, you go out of your way 
to protect yourself from it so you don't go out of the house, you don't Amen. take that vacation, you don't, you don't expand your boundaries. There you are. You're helping me. I appreciate that. Number two, don't see old age as the enemy, which I think we all do. Our culture leads us to believe that it's not the enemy. This is not a battle. It's not life's personal attack on you, Bill Schaefer. In fact, old age is a blessing. It is a fragile gift that needs to be protected. It needs to be nurtured and it needs to be handled with care, but it's not an enemy. Interesting. You know, I walked into a music store, Mark, and I looked around and I realized I was the oldest guy in the place And I thought for a second, maybe I should get out of here. But then I said, no way. I'm (laughs) representing. Amen. All right. Before we run out of time, just a couple of other things. And uh, because I want to get to the final one, don't ignore the obvious signs of aging. We've seen this with our parents. You know, when you're when you're hearing your vision, your balance start to fail, you know, deal with it. Adjust with it. Get the, the technology that's out there. Get the rehabilitation that's out there. You will have more years of independence. Don't limit your focus and refuse to learn new things. Uh, you know, this is the age of liberation. And, and finally, Bill, I think this goes back to, you know, some of the stuff we've talked about on this show in terms of caregiving. Don't leave your family in the dark about your end-of-life wishes, about your wishes in your testament. Don't neglect getting an advanced health care directive, which is really just a medical health care power of attorney where you name a person to make the decisions for you when you can't. Thank you, Mark, for making us think about these and having these conversations. These are the biggest regrets people have in their lives when they don't do it or leave it up to others. Folks, follow us. Be part of the solution. Go to growingbolder.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we'll see you again next time. The Growing Boulder Radio Show is a production of Growing Boulder, LLC, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nannis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member, you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day. Crimson flames tied through my ears, flowing high and mighty trap. Countless fire and flaming road, using ideas as my map. We'll meet on edges soon, said I. Let's go.